is Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Here's Deborah Howell. Welcome to the show. I'm Deborah Howell, and today we'll be talking about the advances in total joint replacement surgery. Our guest today is Dr. Anatole Podolsky, an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip, knee, and shoulder replacement surgery at the Memorial Care Joint Replacement Center at Orange Coast Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Podolsky. Hi. How are you today? Very fine. Thank you. Joint replacement strategies and surgeries can be extremely effective in eliminating pain and improving mobility for those who suffer from joint-related pain. We're here today to talk about the types of joint replacement surgeries and available ways to reduce the risk for revision surgery in the years following surgery and recent advances in joint replacement surgery. So that's kind of a mouthful, but let's start at the beginning. Dr. Podolsky, what types of procedures are performed at the Memorial Care Joint Replacement Center at Orange Coast Medical Center? Well, as you mentioned earlier, the total shoulders, total knees, total hips are the common procedures for joint replacement. There are other smaller joints sometimes replaced, but these are the most common. Just to give you the statistics, approximately half a million of total hip procedures are done in the United States every year. Three quarters of a million for total knee replacement and a much smaller number for shoulder replacement. Okay. And why are some of the reasons uh, that someone might need a joint surgery? When the joint wears out, uh, most commonly uh, with a degenerative process, it means the cartilage has degenerated to the bone. It becomes painful to walk. The joint is harder to move because uh, the low friction is gone. And uh, uh, function and pain are the main indicators for, for doing the procedure. It actually may improve the overall health of the patient because uh, uh, mild exercise or, or some exercise is better than none. Absolutely. And they cannot do it due to pain in the hip or knee or the shoulder. Are we talking mild pain or pretty severe pain? Well, it's the pain that failed conservative treatment. First, you, you try to use some medications like anti-inflammatories or even plain Tylenol, injections into the knee, including uh, cortisone injections with local anesthetics, or injections of lubricants like Suparts or, or Synvisc may um, improve the patient's condition. But if the pain continues to increase, then they may be candidates for uh, replacing the joint. Understandably. Let's talk a little bit about total hip replacement. Could you discuss what the current research and findings show? We had a wonderful conference this year in San Diego. It was in March. And we had a whole bunch of new information. One of the interesting things was that there was a multi-center study in academic centers that uh, um, analyzed uh, different hip approaches, anterior, posterior, and lateral approach. And what they found, surprisingly, despite claims of earlier recovery and improved outcomes with the direct anterior approach, our findings indicate, they said, that the approach may confer greater risk of early femoral failure. In other words, at five years, a lot of people with anterior hip approach had loosening of the femoral stem. Hmm. So that was a surprising uh, uh, discovery. And uh, uh, other study came out in, in the same uh, subject. The Mayo Clinic compared what their top expert in anterior hips and top expert in mini posterior hips. And the mini posterior hips actually had better return to walking and, uh, and uh, physical activity. Oh, that is interesting. That's why we have conferences, I guess, huh? Right. <laughs> so what questions should patients ask when determining the best approach for them? Well, you should discuss with your surgeon uh, what approach he is comfortable with and what he feels the advantages are for this specific patient. Anterior approach is not thrown out. You know, uh, some people prefer it and some patients are better candidates for it. 
somebody who is skinny or somebody who doesn't have a, a big muscle mass, you know, so, so a woman uh, that is relatively thin would be a good candidate for anterior hip. The advantages, of course, uh, were claimed but never substantiated. For example, they, they discussed that they don't cut any muscles. But if you look at some instructional videos, even from the Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, they said, well, if you can't get the femur out of the wound to install the, fem- the femoral component, just cut this muscle and then this muscle. And uh, so um, one of the presenters at the Academy said that a lot of beginning surgeons are, are doing anterior approach, but they are performing actually posterior hip arthroplasty through the anterior approach. Interesting. How often are revision surgeries required for joint replacement? Very good news for everybody. This overall rate of revision at 10 years after total hip has decreased down to 6%. It used to be over 10. That is incredible. Yes. So, and this is mostly due to reduction in dislocation. For example, posterior hip is the most common approach in the U.S. And uh, more and more surgeons are learning now to repair the posterior capsule after surgery. And it reduced dislocation rate from 5% down to about 1%, Wow! comparable that... to other approaches. But still, interestingly, the most uh, complication-free approach for dislocation purposes is the lateral approach that they still use at Mayo in some cases. All right. And what are some of the ways in which risks for revision surgery can be reduced? Well, as I mentioned right now, repairing the capsule is very important. Mm-hmm. Making sure that you um, uh, review the, the x-rays and, and do a good planning before the surgery. In other words, uh, a leg length discrepancy could be quite irritating to people if the leg is not the same length. So you need to discuss it with the patients and prepare. Uh, make sure that your prosthesis is fit to correct the patient's deformity. So the other ways to prevent complications is to go to a hospital that has a program. We have a program that patients attend first a lecture before they schedule their surgery, and they discuss all the different ways to prevent uh, problems like infections, dislocations, what kind of therapy to expect, what activity return time frame is, and when to come back to driving, for example. So all, all this educational activity prior to surgery is very, very helpful and improves outcomes. I would imagine so. Um, now, what are some of the recent advances in preventing complications and reducing revision surgery when having joint replacement surgery? Okay. So maybe four or five years ago, uh, a study from Chicago came out, and they, they stated that uh, irrigating the total joint during the procedure with betadine solution mm-hmm. prevented infections, and they had very good statistics to prove it. The other program that was very popular in reduction of the infections was the do preoperative pre-wash, or we call it chlorhexidine bath. The patients are given a bottle of uh, this chemical, the surgical scrub, and with a plain washcloth, they do the 10-minute bath twice a day for three days before surgery. So that helps to reduce infection rate. Uh, In one of the recent years at Orange Coast, we had zero infections due to these changes. That makes total sense to bathe the area before the surgery. That's interesting. Now, what traits should they look for when selecting a surgeon to perform joint replacement surgery? Well, (laughs) the basic principle of division of labor, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. is very important. If somebody is interested in this field of surgery and does a fair amount of surgeries per year, or does more complicated surgeries, like addressing complications of his own or, or, or other surgeons, that would be somebody I would choose for my surgeon. 
There are so many elements, but uh, you do want to have some kind of a rapport with your surgeon. Yes, it's important to to have explanation to your question. And and I talk to patients extensively before they decide on the procedure. So we review the pros and cons of approach. We review the preoperative optimization of the patient, which is a a whole new area of of medical activity to avoid problems. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if patient has diabetes or heart problems, or kidney disease. These are all reflective of the complications that you may expect. So prevention, of course, is the best treatment. Absolutely. I have one final question for you, doctor. With the new advances in joint replacement surgery, what should an individual expect as far as recovery time? Well, I'll give you my statistics. Uh, Most of my patients stay in the hospital one or two days after total joint replacement. Uh, We do new pain management program with the uh, local anesthetic blocks that improves the recovery and allows the patients to go home soon. So after surgery, which takes about 40 minutes, you get up the same evening or the next morning and you do physical therapy. Mm-hmm. On day one or two, you're ready to go home. It's phenomenal. Back in the day, it used to take weeks. Even I remember when I, when I was in training in the 90s at Mayo Clinic, we had patients stay for 10 days after total hip. Yeah. Crazy. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Podolsky, for your time today. It sounds like a a much better time to be a patient for these kind of circumstances, and we really do appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. For more info or to listen to a podcast of this show, please visit memorialcare.org slash podcasts. That's memorialcare.org slash podcasts. That's all for this time. I'm Deborah Howell. Have yourself a terrific day.